You're listening to part two of my interview with Dr. Steve Firemilk and Matt Essex, talking all about how incentives impact member engagement and health programs, and how we align our teams, programs, and workflows in the pursuit of the same goals, sustained engagement and successful outcomes. If you missed part one, here's a quick recap. When you're talking about a population health management group, you know, you, you, or a population health management program where you're trying to drive an outcome or unwind a behavior that's been going on for years, you, you, you literally can't do that with just sales and marketing tactics. Have you noticed how much commercials have changed? Consumer brands used to flaunt fancier features, facts and figures about their products, but you don't see that much anymore, do you? Think about it. At the same time, Kodak was selling the idea of better cameras, Apple sold the idea that capturing meaningful moments brings us closer together. What do you think worked? Companies have figured out that engaging consumers on a deeper, more personal level, their values and aspirations pays off big over the long term. Population health management and wellness programs are lagging way behind in their understanding where motivation comes from, which is sad considering their subject matter. Their strategies start and end with where to place the incentive. But how do incentives really influence behavior change and motivation? And how can we set our health programs up for sustained engagement and successful outcomes? That's an essential question. And this is the NudgeCast. Yeah, so last week we talked a little bit about incentives and we ended the last conversation kind of starting to go down into this territory of how kind of teams can be structured and work together in order to create a more effective setup for engagement. So Steve, I'd love to start with you and, and kind of frame kind of some of the problems that we've seen and, and are seeing with kind of out, how outreach is being approached and how success is being measured within teams. Yeah, the, the, unfortunately, the success is rarely ever high because oftentimes the same script is used with all of the encounters that we have with individuals. So there may be, you know, one individual out there that uh, we make a call to and um, we get them on the phone, we have a short conversation, they don't sign up for our program, and, uh, but the metric is met because we made a connection and we called. So having the metric, the measurement of this uh, metric success being a contact, a connection, and you check it off the list that, oh, yep, I talked to, to Mrs. Johnson today. Um, I'll call her. She's back on my list for next uh, Tuesday. And so that, that being a success metric doesn't lead you any farther forward from where, you're, where you are right now. So the success metric should be adopted to a more of a long-term development of trust with your organization so that when the call, when they see the phone call, the next phone call you may give them, they don't look at the number and, you know, not answer it or they've already <laughs> blocked it because they, they say they don't want to get involved or you call them and you have the goal of signing them up for the program or connecting them right away with, um, a nurse or a health coach or somebody, you know, leading right off the bat with that or, or within that first call. And many times the member on the other end will say whatever they have to to get you off the line. So mm -hmm. the, the, the success metric 
has to be in line with the overall goal of what you're trying to do with your program long term um, is always hopefully what we're going for. And then it's, it is not giving um, kudos to those who are just making connections using the same script because everyone is going to be an individual and they will know that on the other end. So as I've said in many of these times that we've gotten together, guys, I've said that upfront time and effort and, and setting it up and, and uh, uh, you know, prefacing even the first call with some other techniques, the time upfront spent pays dividends in the future in all of these programs. And I know Matt has, uh, has a really neat perspective on this as well when it comes to programs uh, and what, you know, what your specific goal for that, that uh, patient or member might be. Matt? Oh, yeah. Thanks, Dr. Steve. Yeah. So, I mean, the only thing I'd add to that is, is I just think to, to sort of summarize what you're saying is, is and, and I don't, I didn't come up with this. I, I think it was one of our, um, uh, one of our contacts or clients that, that actually coined this. So don't, don't give me credit for it, but it's basically <laughs> that outreach isn't the same as engagement, you mm -hmm. know? So just, just the fact that we're having a conversation with, with somebody or getting somebody on to answer their phone um, at a particular time that doesn't mean that that's facilitating or encouraging in any way the engagement process. In fact, if we're not careful, a lot of times it, it can take things the wrong direction. So if we're just measuring on just the act of making a call and just the act of getting a hold of people and that's kind of we're checking the box, well, who's to say that 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 conversation was actually productive and, and that it didn't turn the person off, which is all, all too common if we're not careful with doing this front end work that Dr. Steve is, is describing where we're really, really cautious about the type of words and language that we're using um, because the reality is that, that if, with, with people that are, um, that are maybe struggling with, uh, with health challenges or, or need, in need of making a, a behavioral change is they're very sensitive to certain words. And if we're using those words on the call, then all of a sudden, next thing you know, is we have a, we have a, a, a disconnect uh, between the metric, the box that was checked and what the overall focus of the program is. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And you know, it's, it can be really challenging for kind of teams that are working together in kind of a population health management type program where, you know, programs or most of these programs, well, pretty much every program is going to be evidence-based, right? So it should work. Um, but is it, as an evidence-based program, it's probably inherently standardized. So that kind of breaks the mindset from the get-go that, you know, you want to connect on a personal level in the beginning of the process. So it takes some kind of consistent focus and, and, you know, a commitment across the team to kind of keep that, um, make sure that that's happening on the front end, making a personal connection. Uh, but I guess you, you talked a little bit about language, Matt. What might be some language on a, maybe a, a first call where someone doesn't know a lot about a program that they're um, hearing about from you for the first time? Um, some language that might be a little bit more useful in order to 
kind of start making that connection and build some trust on that first call? Yeah, I, I think one of the key one of the key uh, umbrella thoughts that you should have when you're you're picking your words or you're discussing it, as Matt said, the, your words can be a quick turn off or turn on to your program, and you hate to to think of it that way, but it's true. It's not the um, the old uh, I tell you what to do and you're going to do it. We, we're not people aren't doing aren't going to do that. So developing an environment where they gain trust from you and being empathetic. So the things that you're doing, you have to show empathy with these people because they're at this point, there there may be a more risk within the population that you're targeting. So they're already uh, probably feeling a lot of uh, of failure, um, trouble with success, uh, maybe not had the greatest experience in the healthcare system. And so showing them that you're empathetic, that you understand how tough it is, that you're choosing, choosing words that aren't develop to uh, specifically just go after them to get them to sign up uh, very uh, callously, but as opposed to finding out about them. So, so words that ask them questions, that, that uh, um, ask them, you know, if they would consider, you know, a different approach uh, to their health, uh, maybe working with a health coach, would they consider those things? Um, using uh, positive num- uh, words such as, you know, um, uh, not uh, as opposed to like you you must do this and you should do this uh, as opposed to you know you can do this and mm-hmm. it's a possibility and uh, words that are more uh, uh, put them at ease and give them the feeling that you that you are listening to them that your program that your I should say your organization has a different um, uh, uh, personality if you will that they are not your strict you know, healthcare sterile environment. We're trying to do something different with you and engage with you more on, on your terms. And so uh, using those uh, terms that are more empathetic, things about would you consider this, uh, using things that you can do this, you may, you may want to do this, this may be beneficial for you. And then lastly, words that try to um, let them know that you're, you want to know where they are at right now. Mm-hmm. Not that, you know, and we use uh, the science of the stages of, of change, the trans theoretical model um, with a lot of things we do, and, you know, finding out what their readiness is and, and, and respecting that and, and using terms like, you know, um, would you consider, as I said before, are, are you ready to, to do something different? Um, mm-hmm. Have you ever talked to anybody about doing something different with your health care? Um, so anyways, so just being uh, setting the tone, I think, is one of the big things you consider and uh, through that whole uh, initial process. Yeah, and we try to do a lot of that with even kind of the um, outreach stuff, the content that we start with in terms of uh, mailers and digital communications as well. I think Bingo. we'll get to, that, get to that in a second in more detail. But Steve, something kind of popped into my head. You know, we're talking about kind of ways to tease out readiness a little bit in that conversation. Um, you know, one of the things I know that you always talk about a lot and Matt is, is kind of known for being pretty good about is, is focusing on this, uh, each individual's why or teasing out their why and understanding their reasons for wanting to possibly engage and change and uh, participate in a program. Um, would that be something that you would try to establish extremely early or is that something that you would try to build up trust first and then get to that later? The thing about, the, the thing about leading with why is it, is it really cuts um, through 
a lot of these filters that we've built up in our brain uh, over time. And if you think about all the all the things that are flying at us, and, and let's just unpack the process of making a cold call to a, a, a perspective um, program participant, whatever the program may be. Mm. So that you've got a list of people that you know you've either identified or you or you think you know uh, maybe a good candidate for your program for whatever reason. Usually, we're basing that off of some sort of clinical data in in. Uh, population health management you know so we've got we've, we've, we've sort of borrowed some information that that they probably feel is pretty private and we are using it now to try to engage them in something to, to try to improve their health so that so that we can reduce our costs so it's a, it, just inherently it's like okay not good for building a relationship you know, <laughs> as a starting point you know and 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 second to that is what is people if you're if you're if you're so uh, fortunate to have the person actually answer their phone um, in this day and age, you know, what is it likely, what are they going to be on guard with when they first answer that call? It's going to be, oh, what's this person trying to sell me? You know, right. so so the first step would be to try to establish that that trust and make sure they know, okay, this isn't intended to be a sales call. You have to really spend some time thinking through how you're going to frame that up because you're already going to be at a disposition with that person on the other end of the line most of the time, you know, and they're going to be looking for a reason to just hang up the phone on you. And, it, you know, so the cards are kind of stacked against you. So phone call, you know, I, I think, I think we're going to talk more about other ways to maybe, um, in, you know, engage them on the front end that, that may be um, uh, less intrusive than, than, than a cold call. Um, but I'm not saying cold cars are always, you know, ineffective. It's just, we have to really realize that, that, you know, just by their very nature, you know, it's unlikely that we're going to make much progress. But if you can get in and you ask about the why, you know, if you, if you can get in and, and help calm down the situation in terms of what they may be thinking or perceiving and, and start to get, a, you know, cut to the chase of what, you know, what's important to them, you know, what, what, what they value, what their intrinsic motivations are, um, a lot of times you can cut through a lot of those filters that I was saying that are there to, to kind of protect people against, you know, getting, you know, uh, sold left and right and, and exhausting all their funds and, you know, savings, you know, with, with people that are just literally trying to extract money from them, you know, mm -hmm. so. Yeah, that does the, the setting that you're doing this within definitely the context there creates a, an uphill battle for these people that are making these kind of outbound calls. No doubt about Can it. I add one more thing, Phil, I, just because, you know, we're talking about success, success metrics that are not ideal. And, you know, so I, it just occurred to me, we, sh we should probably give the listeners a some sense of what we feel is more of an ideal metric to track. Different. So if we're talking about, a, you know, there's using phone calls is a really um, uh, common thing, you know, in, in, in outreach, you know, and, and I know we're going to get into other things, but, you know, maybe a better metric to track is w what did we learn about the person when we got them on the line, as opposed to, mm -hmm. did you make the call? Did they answer the phone? Did you have your monthly conversation? You know, those types of things that really don't, that really don't lead, you know, anywhere or really hard to tie to the, to the long-term results of, of uh of uh of a program um so anyway 
Just a thought. Yeah, yeah, and if I can, if if I can add to that, and there's there are some specific things that that can be included in that more uh, detail, if you will, checklist for someone's success. Did they fi find out uh, the stage of of change that they might be at for a particular um, behavior relating to a risk that they have? Do they know the risk that they have? Do they understand? Um, the results of, you know, that the medical results and do they understand what their doctor had recommended for them? So I'm kind of understanding, did you get a better feel for their knowledge of where they're mm -hmm. at? Did you get a feel for um, if, uh, um, if they know about what your offering is? You know, do they feel like mm -hmm. they understand this program you're offering? Do you understand their why? You know, do you under, did you feel like you were able to, to at least find out what their why is. And if I can dig just one second, a little bit farther into that, because you had this, think of it this way, you have this great program and you know, deep down in your heart that when somebody connects with you and gets involved in this program, they will become healthier, live better. And from a business perspective, you know, save considerable amount of, of money. But when you think of the other side, you have this person who has maybe high blood pressure or they have some, uh, cholesterol number that's way out of whack and the doctor says we got to get that under control and lifestyle is the best way you know you got to lose some weight yada yada so does the person come to you when they when you tell them about the program and say oh yeah this is great I want to get my blood pressure down to this number I'm doing this all I'm gonna do all these lifestyle changes I'm really excited about doing these lifestyle changes so that my cholesterol level is X well they may tell you that some but in reality, there's a deeper reason why they will sustain these long-term behavior changes and health standards, if you will. And that has to relate with their why. Why do they want to have a healthy blood pressure? Why do they want to have the cholesterol in the right, in the right level? Where does this, what does that do for them and their quality of life? And that's where a program, someone who's on the phone talking about their program, that's where that expert can start to foster that relationship and let them know that, hey, there's a bigger reason why you want to get your blood pressure in check and your cholesterol, and let's talk about that. Let's find out what it is for you, and we'll support you with that. And then every time you and I get a hold of each other or some one of my colleagues, they're going to talk to you and say, you know, remember, as it gets tough, think about, you know, you said you wanted to walk your daughter down the aisle in three years, but your doctor said you're lucky if you have two. So, um mm -hmm. So we, we use that as a behavioral uh, uh, science-supported uh, methodology. Yeah, and that's, that's the power of really finding that piece of information. And that's what I like so much about kind of what you said, Matt, about kind of learnings as a success metric, uh, personal learnings as a success metric, because once you have identified a real powerful kind of emotional motivator like that, it's something that you can refer back to in every conversation mm -hmm. and kind of, you know, make more progress through that than, than almost anything else. Um, but so we've talked about kind of phone outreach, obviously, you know, there are other things we can do. Um, but you know, what I like about talking about phone outreach is that it's easy to kind of frame, you know, how, how this conversation should go. Um, but you know, when you're going, goal is to go from outreach to engagement to bring someone into a program that empathetic tone has to begin from you know the first first communication and go all the way through the last right so whether that is you do have an email address and there's an opportunity for a digital campaign um 
you have to introduce your even your brand with an empathetic touch. Um, and like you said, Steve, I mean, the same rules apply when it's email outreach, when it's, um, you know, um, even if you want to try something like text message, which may also step over a line for many people, but, um, you know, there are different ways to do this. It's always establishing that empathetic tone and, and instead of pitching, it's more of asking permission, right? Um, throughout the process. Does that, does that make sense and, and align with what you're thinking as well, Steve? Yes, absolutely. You're introducing um, these concepts to them and then letting them make the choice. This is never trying to push them into an answer because remember, everyone out there that you're throwing out, if you're doing a letter, for example, it's a great way to do it. Uh, you can, um, uh, you have to remember that the, the people out there are all at different levels of change. They're all have other, have their own things that are going on in their life that are going to either going to read that letter, not read that letter, um, have more likelihood to read the letter if it's done in a certain way, if it's, if it's um, opened up in a certain way that, uh, that will say, oh, okay, I'll read the next line or I'll read the next line. Um, and then what is it saying? It's saying things that connect with me, that show that they are empathetic with me, that show that they have something different, that they know I'm busy. They even said in here that they've got a way of, of connecting with, uh, with me that's uh, not going to take a lot of time. So, um, connecting with them the same way you would on a phone call, you can do with the right outreach that is uh, in the form of a letter, email, or even a landing page, sending them to a landing page that, that uh, gives you some information. And the last thing I'll say is, and it goes back to the phone call, it goes back to what Matt and both uh, uh, Phil said, the, the goal is to move the ball forward and to move it down the court slowly to move it down the field slowly. It's not to take these big bombs, you know, doing a Hail Mary pass. We want to move it forward. So any little nugget of information we can get and we can document that. And so the next call, the next engagement refers to that. We move forward. That, play, that pays dividends in the future to show that this person, the person you're contacting, you listen to them, starts to build the trust, and that you're going to be matching up your advice to them because you're listening to them as you move forward. And that's the power of learnings as a success metric. I'm glad Matt, you just coined that on this uh, conversation. So we're going to use that going forward. Great. <laughs> All right. So um, I think we've kind of covered a lot of ground here. Uh, the parting advice that I think you can take out of this is that in the early stages, this process is all about building trust in a hard context to build trust within. Um, you can take these learnings as your progress about these individuals and keep applying them in a personalized fashion to move the ball down the court and make progress. And to be really effective at turning outreach into engagement, you have to establish an entire team-wide, organization-wide culture of engagement where sustained engagement is always kind of the end goal and speak at every level in order to achieve that goal. So Matt, Dr. Steve, really appreciate you guys joining again today. And I guess we'll talk to everybody else again next time. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Phil.